Hey, Marie. Happy Sunday. Hi, Diane. Happy Sunday to you, too. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Wonderful. Went outside and got a little vitamin D, so doing great. Yes, girl. I did, too, right at about 10 o'clock. I mean, and I try to I try to get sun every day. It's, it's like a bolt of energy for me. Yes, I should be trying to do it every day, but I, today I made myself go out and do it. But um, it 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 makes me feel like you said a bolt of energy, or it feels alive, more alive. You know, it's just like why am I in the house that I could be out here looking at nature? Exactly. So yeah, so so this week we are doing the verses in the Bible that have. Um, that our favorite verses. So, um, what's your favorite verse, Marie? Um, my favorite verse is in Proverbs. Okay. Uh, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Um, and, you know, it's one of those verses that just I just keep coming back to all the time um, because Proverbs was one of those easy books for me to read throughout my life because it was 31 chapters. So when all those failed, and I didn't know where to go. I would read a proverb a day. Right. So that's my favorite verse. What about you? Um, again, I have two. And again, uh, I'm like you that when I'm kind of struggling or trying to um, or going through something or dealing with something or good, bad, or indifferent, I um, go to Proverbs and said that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all you're getting, get understanding. Yep, and, that's, uh, that's Proverbs 4-7. And I, I could have told somebody that was your favorite. And when I, when, when I see that verse, when I think about that verse, I think of you. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Why do you say that? Because I think I've heard you say it before. And I think when we've talked, you'll, re- you'll reference it back when we talk. And all that getting, get understanding, you know, just weaving it through the conversation. So if somebody if I if somebody were to if it would have been a game show and they'd ask me what is Diane's favorite Bible verse, I would have said Proverbs four seven. <laughs> yes. And I think that uh when I first read it, it was like, Wow, that's it, you know, and that kind of it, it covers so many things because we have so many misunderstandings with, with ourselves, with individuals, with groups. With organizations because we don't have understanding. We just have our, it goes back to yours, you know, lean not to your own understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's all we're leaning on is our own understanding. But to get understanding and to seek understanding, that means you got to go a little bit deeper. You know, I think one of the verses in the Bible said, deep calls into deep. And um, most people are very shallow and they like, you know, being in shallow water because they can be there. There is safety in shallow being shallow, but um, to really to understand things and people and situations and concepts, you have to really seek understanding. Um, 
and it opens your eyes and mind and spirit and then your it may even change your direction because now you're not going leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on something that's deeper and bigger and wider. And oh, it might be, it might even be narrow. Uh, but at least you got some understanding. You're not just running off at the mouth or coming off the top of your head. You are coming from somewhere that is deeper than um, your own understanding. Mm -hmm. So in my other one, that's my Old Testament. My New Testament is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul. And the second commandment is like unto this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the reason I like that, because I struggle with um, a lot of things in my life, but once I read that, not just read it, you know, just for exercise or read it because it's a part of the Sunday school lesson or it's a book in the Bible or a verse in the Bible. But really, um, in, in, in one commentary I looked, they said, after you do that, everything else is commentary. If you love God, you love your neighbor. And I think you really got to love yourself first before you even love your neighbor. But if you learn, and we're not taught in this country to love ourselves, um, or I don't know if any country teaches that, but I think we need to be intentional teaching children about loving themselves, loving God and loving yourself. Then it would be easier to love your neighbor. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the quote, I think it's a Rumi quote, and it goes, because I remember making, I still have it, I haven't sold it. I was making a, made a piece about it and he says uh it's like your neighbor is your other self behind a wall and as wow. soon as you recognize that you know you you get understanding because it really is you're all we're all one but we think we're separate right and, you know, whenever you in school you, and, and, and you're reading literature, they always tell you, look at what is the universal message. And because we all are basically the same, you know, we hurt, we feel pain, we uh, cry when we feel pain or we withdraw when we feel pain. We laugh, we have joy. We all are basically the same as human beings. You know, we are distinct. You know, God made us distinct. But our, the, the surface stuff you're basically all the same, you know, even inside the hearts, the lungs. And so once you can see that, you stop seeing people as, you know, this group or that group. Just To me, I tell everybody, it's just, to me, everybody's basically the same. Everyone is just struggling, trying to figure it out. Even the people you think got it figured out, they trying to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they trying to figure it out, too. And so... um. That's why everybody you meet is just fig trying to figure it out, trying to get through the day, and and and, um, and trying to figure out how how all this works for them, and then for their families and for their community. Did you um did you see where the 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 um founder of Zappos died? Did you see that? Uh uh. Where you know he was young, wasn't he? He was young. And he had sold the company for like a billion dollars years ago. So he was he was rich. 
and he ended up dying in a fire in wow. a like a shed beside a house and he had gotten into um uh, depriving his body of oxygen um wanted a lot of candles around him into drugs as the pandemic set on right so he was doing things that mm-hmm. just would you know would be out of character for him he's the person that wrote the book about happiness uh and so when you said that about you just don't know what other people are going through you could be the richest person in the world but just like everybody else, you have problems. And so, right. you know, money's not going to give you understanding. Money's not going to help you figure it out. Everybody's kind of rowing in the same boat, trying to understand, especially now, what is this mm-hmm. all about? What is life all about? Yeah. What is important and what is not important? Well, in my, uh, my uh, Zoom Sunday school class today, um, well, it's not called, it's called a resistor's. We're the resistors. This one guy who does some work, I think, counseling around drug abuse and um, HIV and stuff like that in D.C., he was saying that um, D.C. has had over 250 overdoses since COVID started, and they are using bath salts and something else. He Something he used in the house, too. Or they're liquefying it and they're shooting it up. And so I was thinking, wow, so people are that much pain, you know, with all this isolation and like this uncertainty that, um, you know, we're, they've lost hope, you know, um, and so I said, you know, sad. You know, one of the things I think about Diane, it's like, it's easy probably to uh, think you understand, think you figured it out, have hope when you have all these distractions distracting you from mm-hmm. reality. And part of that reality is your mind and what's going on in your mind. But now that people are in the house, they have to deal with themselves, their families, their thoughts. They don't have the distractions anymore. Um, I can see why if you've never really been the type of person who's a homebody and likes solitude, well, this would be tragic for some people to have to go through this, mandatory go through this, not by choice. Yeah, I never thought about that. Because, you know, I, I think I enjoy my own company, um, but uh, I never thought about someone not enjoying their own not enjoying solitude or their own company. But um, now you have to, you can't run around. Mm-hmm. Can't distract yourself. From brunch, can't distract yourself. Yeah, from work to, yeah, to the mall, to the store, to the, over someone's house or the next event. You have to, you know, just sit with yourself. And, and, the, and then you, you sit with yourself and you haven't sat with yourself before. You, you've never done that. You've never sat there and uh, listened to the craziness that's happening in your head, this voice talking to you. So you're really, I can see why, you, you know, the stats you gave, why people are losing their minds. Yeah. You know, and, and if you don't have some anchor to draw you back, 
like you and I have come up with, okay, we're going to read, even if it's just Proverbs, the Bible or, or something to draw you back in and have some sense of trust in something bigger than yourself. Yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough road to hoe. Yeah, we were in our Sunday school class, we actually break out in Zoom groups for 30 minutes. And one of the things we talked, we talked about reparations and love to like crazy different things to talk about. But one of the things that this woman, um, she said she don't understand this thing about love, like almost, you know, covers all fear, you know, you know, I forgot the exact verse. Or she didn't understand that, and and the one the men in the group he said, that, you know, the the scripture said, "Perfect love cast away all fear." And I said, "I never thought about the word perfect love." Mm. Perfect love cast away all fear. And so I think that you know you said you were reading the Bible during this COVID season. Mm-hmm. So so once you start reading the words, or even reading people like the other was it Rami. The person that you mentioned before, Remy. when you start a re- Remy, when you start a reading uh, literature and uh, like the Bible or uh, a literature like you know other religious scholars, you know they talk about love and harmony and um, you know peace and you know joy, and so then it, and once you start a reading that stuff, those words and those what they are writing about. It kind of embodies you, like when he when, the, when this man was talking about perfect love, I was thinking, wow, you know, I got excited. I was thinking, I, we don't have to. I don't really. I can just drop out the Bible study now, because I think I can just sit in perfect love for a minute and see what that looks like. <laughs> like now, now that he said that, okay, let me just go and, and meditate on that. <laughs> no yes. more talking necessary, people. <laughs> Let's just meditate on that. Yeah, this is let's we just stop. That's it. That's that's it. And I think we don't talk, you know, and because, you know, we have spent time in, in, in you know, reading scripture and other literature and other thought leaders and, you know, um in religion and spirituality that once you can um let your mind go to something called perfect love, what would that what does that look like? And what does that feel like? And how does that work? Mm, that's a good thought. And, um, I mean, that's a great yeah, thought. So, yes, yes. And so now one of my friends uh, said, you know, thinking, thoughts are not thinking. But let's just think on perfect love, baby. You know, let's spend a day on that or memory on that. And so I said, oh, yeah, that was it. That's what, that, that does drive out fear because that actually makes you happy, you know, to think about something you love that love being perfect, and I think if you think about a mother with a child, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when the first baby first comes, you know, um, perfect love, you know, um, yes, yes, you know, there are some things that you feel that perfect love, you know, you see ch- little babies, just perfect, you know, you see a baby and you say, perfect, this is she is perfect or he's perfect, and so, um. Yeah. So yeah, we uh, that will drive off fear. But if you don't have those thoughts that you can go, if you have not spent time with yourself and just spend time with uh, words and scripture and 
and thinking about something besides your job or your mate or mm-hmm. house or your mortgage, <laughs> you know, or what I'm going to do or my college loans or whatever you think about that is, you know, I think uh, in Ephesians, not Ephesians, Philippians says, yeah, you know what, days. as you were talking about that, that's what I was thinking about. I, I had missed this as a list of one of the, the ideas that I actually pursued, and it was something called uh, Between Sets, Working Out with the Word. Well, I had taken these Bible verses, this is oh, 15 years ago, and put them on like little um, cards the size of a business card with magnets behind them. And whenever I remember that, I remember that. <laughs> well, that was one of the verses, and I know it Philippians 4 8 whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of good report if there be any virtue if there be any praise think on these things think on those things and I was you know when people when you were saying that when people say you know I don't read the Bible a lot of bunch of hypocrisy and I was thinking when they people say that I always Mm -hmm. smile because they never Mm -hmm. read it because if you read that if you read, if you read that, that's nothing to do about any religion. Yes, it's telling you how to think. This is telling you how to think. It's telling you to think about how to think. How you wake up in the morning? What are you gonna think about? Think about. Look out and say, right. "This is lovely." What? What's a good? Definitely. What's good? Exactly. What's good? <laughs> think about that. Exactly. But if you don't know something like that, you just you're stuck in your mind with all the negative things of am I gonna lose my job? What are the how's the vaccine gonna work? All that. You're stuck with that. Yes. Instead of thinking like, Oh wow, this is a beautiful day. How did God make a tree? Oh my god, that tree is beautiful or Wow, I love sitting here. You know, you live near the water in Hampton, so I remember going, when I went to school at Hampton, I remember I worked in a building, um, it's called the Academy Building, I forgot what they called it now, but um, and I worked in the building, the museum, and I used to go upstairs from the third floor, and in the evenings, the fishing boats would come back into the river outside the campus, and it would be a block of birds flying behind the fishing boat because fish, you know, they had been fishing, but they had gotten all the fish and everything. And I remember always kind of running upstairs and looking at the window and watch the birds <laughs> chase the fishing boat. And to me, that was the one of the most mm-hmm. beautiful things. It's like, wow. You know, I go to school here. I could, you know, I could look out the window and there's the water and fishermen. And I remember uh, about five or ten years ago, your sister and I went to chapel on campus. I had never went when I was a student. But we went to chapel one Sunday, and this woman who's the chaplain at the university, she said, um, um, I'm going to say something to you students that you may not understand. And she said, it, it, she said that every some nights I get up and walk past the dorms and pray for you all in the dorms, in your residential halls, and pray that you, you know, be successful and you, you know, find your calling in life, whatever you know, whatever you're majoring, I find your calling. And then she said, the other thing that I'm going to say to you, a lot of y'all complain about this, the food, the classes, the teachers, whatever you complain about. But one day, I'm going to say this to you, it won't make any, make any sense to you. But one day, this might, one day, I want you to think about this when you're an adult and you finish college and you're sitting in your living room 
one day it might be that this might be the last time in your life that you live on waterfront property. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. And I was thinking she says, so you're taking that for granted, but this might be the last time in your whole life that you live in waterfront. Property. You know, and they kind of, t- somebody picked up on that when they, you know, used the motto, Hampton University, home by the sea. Somebody picked up on the significance yeah. of that. And it takes you being away from the ocean to understand the power of the ocean. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And it's one point on campus is that I don't know what body of water meets the um, the Chesapeake Bay. I think it's the it's river James there. River. I, don't know the I don't know the name of the river. But the water actually, the James River, the water actually changed colors right there in front of your eyes. It's because they meet right there someplace on campus. Mm. I remember when I was there looking at it, thinking, wow. So you so, had picked so, up on that before she said yeah, that because it had been years since you had graduated when you went to chapel. You pick. I don't know if I pick. I don't know. I enjoyed it, but I don't. I took. I think I was like the students. I probably took it for granted until that lady said it. Then the chaplain said it. I think I took that for granted because I haven't lived on <laughs> waterfront property since. <laughs> and so I was thinking, wow. I said they should put. They should. She should say that. They should say that when they come. Because, and then that might be something people could strive for, you know, to, to live a waterfront property, you know, that's a very expensive thing to do in America. You know, even though now with, with uh, global warming, I don't know if people even want to do that. But, um, but, um, but to live on waterfront property, that's, you know, you were a real estate agent before. That's mm-hmm. a lot. You know, that's big time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of money to live where. And so, but it's, it's a whole campus right on the um, James River in the Chesapeake Bay. So, no, I don't know if I picked up on that, Marie. I enjoyed it, though. I loved it. Um, wow. I took it for granted. I mean, that's what happens. Like, I took it for granted. I could walk, you know, you know, 20 minutes to Buckrow Beach for all those years, and then when I moved away and I was landlocked, oh, did I, I mean, I, I, you remember when you came to see me, you probably don't remember, but when I had that, you remember when I had a little sports car? Okay, on the back of that sports car, yeah. I had BUC. That was for Buckrow Beach because I missed, I missed it that much. <laughs> like, I went searching for a little um, a little uh, bumper sticker that said Buckrow Beach. That's how much I missed the beach, <laughs> the water. Oh yeah, you know. Yes, I um, I think that um, it, the the beach. It's serenity, but it's also a lot of power down there. You know, you got the serenity and the power at the same mm-hmm. time. Like that water, water is powerful. But on the beach is serenity, you know, um, and so that's what the campus was. You know, we didn't have a beach on the campus, but we had all that water. So you could go there and just sit. But I think I didn't go to the, 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 the you know, sit out there. I actually sat in that window a lot when I was a student because I worked there. But um, it was... Um, you know, it's a blessing to be around water. That's all I can say. And to, um, you know, in all you're getting, get understanding. So I think that should be something that every student at Hampton should write about. What does it mean to be at 
live on waterfront property or be at yes. home by the mm-hmm. sea. You know, because you, yeah, what does that mean? You know, uh, and then when I was on campus, I don't know if I when I was on campus had graduated. Uh, when the, some of the first students came, they didn't have dormitories back then. You know, the school was founded in 1868, so it wasn't what it is now. It was really just a normal school or, you know, a school that, a common school that taught reading and writing and arithmetic to newly free slaves and, and also Native Americans. And um, when they came, they didn't have dormitories. They would build tents on campus, and sometimes the winds would come off the waters, and they wake up the top, the tents would be blown off of them. And so, you know, just, I think they should, I really think that, um, I was talking to my uh, Sunday school class, and I said, you know, America's education is not education, it's indoctrination. And so a true education, I think, for the students would tell them about the students who came to build tents. And so you won't complain about the dormitories, you know, like, I got to walk up these steps, why the elevator not working, the food, you know, I don't like, why we always have to have this one, you know, I'm tired of salads, you know, whatever. But um, not that they shouldn't have the best, but I think that in this country, we don't tell our history enough. We just, you know, like I was telling um, my Sunday school class, I'm a Virginian. And so, and you are too. And so we went to, we learned about Jamestown and Williamsburg. And we actually went there, you know, Patrick Henry's speech, give me liberty or give me death. But real understanding, not indoctrination, real education is take us down to where, you know, Fort Monroe, where the first Africans came in. And then, or take us to, um, I know it's Indian reservations in Tidewater. I'm not sure where they are, but take us over there too. And let's talk to the Native Americans who live on the reservations in the Tidewater, Virginia, so we can really get this true um, education and get this true understanding of who we are and who other people are, not just the TV version, but the real version. You know, let people talk. And I, th- I think that's what we're missing. Um, and, 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 and really... T- Preparing kids to be educated or get understanding, and human beings to be understood. And you and I both know, Diane, that that's some scary talking, especially for the 60s and the 70s, right? Nobody was even thinking about talking about those things, right? So there may be hope for the future, right? You know, now that now that there are things out there, you know, like times 1619, which they're they're trying to do that, right. but it takes people really being honest about the truth and the real history. And some people who are teaching it don't even know the real history, right? They've been indoctrinated to whatever they learn. So right. um, I, I think it's it's the time it's time to do something like that. But um, back then, yeah, we didn't know any of that, and we were living right there. You know, and, and it was in our backyard. Right. That's right. Exactly. And another thing, too, you know, when I was in grad school, um, I started reading again. You know, you're going to right. something, you read Proverbs. <laughs> and, so I, and so I started, you know, I read back to my favorite verse. But Proverbs is also teachable moments. So it's um, every verse, you know, the book was, I think, was written, Solomon 
uh, was trying to teach. Um, he was trying to teach, I don't know if his people, I forgot the background of it, but it was another word for Proverbs with teachable moments. And so when I was reading, going through school, and you had to write all these papers and do all this research and, you know, put all this stuff, give all that stuff back to them the way they want to. I, I, the two things, three things I was looking at is information, which is uh, data, um, knowledge, and that means that you kind of understand what you're kind of writing about and reading about, and then um, wisdom. And so I was always hoping, because wisdom is the principal thing, that I'm going to get this degree and learn, and you know, all those papers and all that research and all them cards and all that stuff they want you to do. But out of all of this learning, will, will any wisdom come out of this for me? And so from that, that process of always researching, gathering data, trying to make sure I'm knowledgeable about the subject matter they're asking me to do this with. And then, so what wisdom am I going to gain from them? So I started looking at everything like that, just not just gathering information, just doing it to the sake of doing it, but doing it for to gather knowledge. And then right. the principal thing, wisdom. You're right. Wisdom. You know, I think about, when I think about grad school, I do. I think about it was tough. Because it was so unnecessary. That's what I thought about mine. I just thought, why are you, why are you torturing yourself for this degree? Even though I like the topic, I like the subject matter, but it was just, it was grueling. The papers and the 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 meetings and the groups. And at the end of the day, like you, it was like I liked what I was learning about because I liked the subject matter of adult learning. But at the end of the day, today, Diane, mm-hmm. end of the day today. I'm, I'm not kidding you. The thing that I remember the most and could probably talk about, honestly, and all of that $30,000 degree was Malcolm Knowles, Andragon. That's it. I mean, yeah. beyond that, it was a yeah. lot of good information, you know, but as far as the knowledge and the wisdom part, yeah, not so much. Uh, and I think a large part of that is that they're not making, you know, not all these colleges and schools and uh, high schools, they're, make, they're not making the tie back to what really matters, right? They're just giving you a lot of data and information. Um, and when I think about Proverbs, it's funny that both of us, our favorite verses are coming out of Proverbs um, because you're right. Proverbs was written by Solomon. But the thing that I really kind of like about it is that I like to tie it with Ecclesiastes because he wrote that too. And, he wrote, mm-hmm. he wrote, mm-hmm. he wrote Proverbs when he was a younger man, but he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was older and after he had, you know, listened to his wives wow. and his wives sent him on the wrong path, you know, where he, all the wisdom that he had, he was doing the wrong thing. And so then he figured out, you know, with, apart from God, all of this is worth nothing. It's not. It's chasing yes. the wind. It's just chasing the wind. And it's amazing that both of us got our degrees in masters. My master's in adult education, um, Malcolm Knowles, and and I'm in no how I even got there. How did I get there? You know, um, it's so uh, and Andrew got. And I always thought that was so. I thought his things was weak. I enjoyed it too, but I thought it was weak. I thought his 
I thought the whole thing was weak. I thought it could be, I think he could have went like deeper. But, but um, it was a model. But, but, See, for um, me, it was like all, all that y'all are talking about, this yeah. and that, and then third. This is the one person who came up with something that at least could go one, two, three. This means yeah. adult learning. And this means children learning, you know. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. But at the end of the day, that's all I got from. What 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 one of my professors said to me, she's the old lady, older ladies. She said, um, she was a, she taught uh, introduction to adult education. You know, the first class you take, you know, first one of the first classes I took in the grad program. She said that all of this is doing all that. You know, while you're in grad school, all grad school is is preparing you for to work in middle in middle management in America. She said, you all would be the directors and the managers. And she said, um, this is what the degree is, because when you're a director and a manager, basically you're just training people. You're preparing people to do the work, do the work that the policy has been written. So you are just the, um, the middle people you, in between higher management and the, uh, you know, the, 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 the staff. And your job is to make sure you understand how to look at these people and train them the best way to bring the policy to fruition. And so that's what she always told us. There's an element of truth to that. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, but that's what I got. She was the only person I thought that, you know, just kind of, you know, the first week or month in the class too, like, cause I was kept thinking, what am I doing in here? She just made it plain. This is all, this is what you're going to be doing. And this is how you're going to use, this is the best way to use the degree. And so when you approach these people to train them, remember, ask them about, you know, the barriers they might have. Um, some people, so some adults you might even be working might have learning disabilities and you won't know that, but you'll figure it out because you might have to teach them a different kind of way or get them some different type of training or explain things a different way. So ask a lot of questions in the beginning of adults um, to make sure that you're covering all of the bases. And she said start real low. You know, like most people start teaching adults like they already know. She said, no, start like they just came to kindergarten and then quickly build up if you look, look at people's faces and realize, Really, I'm an adult. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, I can. I know this already. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So she was to me. She's an old lady to me. You know, she might be my age. Or like she was like sixty, seventy something. But I remember she was the best one. You know, to all the people, she was the best one to kind of explain what, why we're getting this degree. And um, but did you enjoy it? And I was, and Didn't I said, you enjoy I, the I subject matter? I did. I did. I, 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 <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it, Marie. I, I but, understand. Um, <laughs> but it was a lot of good information, right? I remember. It was. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, you know, oh, you're right. But now that you're saying this, the one of the people who taught us, he was the vice president of student affairs. And he taught, I took a class under him called community colleges. And and I learned a lot because uh, I wrote my papers mostly on women in higher education in his class because there were, you know, women didn't get higher education. 
um, it was for men. It, you know, the mm. Harvards and the Yales were all men's schools. And so, um, and so women, you know, I kind of, and they started letting women come to college because if you went to Harvard or Yale, you didn't want an uneducated wife. So they started letting women come to college, started women's colleges basically to have a, be a good mate, you know, learn how to speak properly, learn a foreign language, um, uh, you know, learn about etiquette. And, you know, you could talk about art and music. You were well-rounded. And then um, the community, in the community college is what I learned from taking his class and doing, just being in there. Um, and then I'll say reading. Um, community colleges were started because colleges for elite people. Colleges what? What did you just America. say? Colleges were. And so, for for elite people, for the rich, for elite, for the elitists, and so then the state colleges came with the Morrell Act and um, the Morrell Act, and then they let you know Kansas State, Michigan State. It was kind of farm schools to start the great educated farmers and teachers, you know, white schools, and then um, of course the HBCUs came because they wanted to have an educated black mass to work in industrial industry, but, you know, uh, it led to liberal arts education. And then community colleges came, two-year colleges, and a lot of four-year started two-year. That was for, um, you know, the average Joe, you know, uh, for the working class or the lower class. And so colleges in America are still very um, – hierarchy or elitist, you know, from elitist to, you know, it's almost like a Saks Fifth mm-hmm. Avenue and Walmart. <laughs> you know, it's a market that they, and so when I was in there, I was thinking, wow. And I remember um, just reading about how women had to fight hard just to not to go to school and major in uh, home economics or, um, you know, women didn't go to school to be engineers or attorneys or Teachers, um, uh, teachers, that was basically it. There's a lot of mm-hmm. teachers' colleges, but they didn't really think of us as PhDs in anything, you know, ever getting a PhDs or a master's. Um, so it was interesting um, just having him as a teacher, and he made us do a lot of extra, you know, he always told us to pick a subject mm-hmm. to write about. So you write all of your papers one that, and I picked women in higher education, and I learned a lot about how women really had to fight to be educated, mm-hmm. be higher educated. And so now we have women who are presidents of colleges, which is amazing, um, in a short period of time in America. That is amazing. Um, I didn't know that. That was great information about how the community college got started, and that's interesting, very interesting. Um when I think about, um, mm-hmm. you know, I went to George Washington University, and what I remember was that a lot of the professors that I had had written books. So the textbooks we were using were the books they wrote. You know, so that was that was super interesting to me because they absolutely knew their subject because it was their book that we were learning. Uh, and just like you, I, you know, you pick a subject and you write all your papers on that subject. And mine was job satisfaction. So I was really interested in job satisfaction and wow. did a lot of work around uh, surveys with the Virginia Employment Commission and also the police department. 
I have no idea how we got in the police department, but we did. Uh, and I think about that now because that's kind of like what my just quit survey is. It's about job satisfaction. Um, and then even today when I'm looking at, you know, my, my real job is job satisfaction has now turned into engagement, right? It's called engagement. And Gallup has pretty much Gallup has cornered the market on the engagement survey. It's 10 questions that they ask, you know, all these different companies and government organizations, but they take those 10 questions and they put them in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So their first questions start out about basic needs. Like, do you know the expectations of your job? And it goes all the way up to growth. Are you growing in your job? So they have taken things that we learned 20 years ago and they have made it marketable um, as far as making sure that employees are engaged, what was just really just job satisfaction. So I'm thinking about is you wondering how did you and I, I kind of know how I ended up with a master's in education because I was fighting education my whole life because everybody else was educators in my family. But how did you end up there with a master's in education? I don't know, but when I when my husband died, when, well, I, when my husband was alive, he used to um, he was an undergrad, and I had, I was working, and um, and he used to come home and tell me, um, you know, you should go to grad school. You're not doing anything else. I say, first of all, I'm your wife. I'm cooking, and I work every day. That I work from I was selling pharmaceuticals then, so I was really working. You know, you you dressed up UPS person with a. a and a walking PDR, so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm working, you know, like, and so he said, well, yeah, but you could go to school, so I really, uh, he was at Morgan State in Baltimore, so I thought, I enrolled, then I called my company and found out I can go to, they'll pay for me to go to school, so I said, well, I'll go and get an MBA, while you, you take evening class, we'll come home t- together, so I was working on an MBA in international business, which I really enjoyed that. And then uh, when I got when the company laid me off because they merged with another company, you know, I was not going to pay for another degree. Cause, so I um, I didn't do anything. I, maybe out of 30 hours, maybe I got 15. And so then um, when after he died, I came home. To Danville. And I said, to Danville. And so I came home and I had, I was, when Charles died, I went to a counselor because this is the first time that um i couldn't uh this is before i came home i was still working and i remember this is when they had answering machines and i worked from home i mean i worked from home but i worked outside this is for answer machines and i mean this is answer machines but no cell phones so when i came home from work and i actually could dial in too to my office a voicemail i would have so many voicemails before I would just write them down you know how you should write your voicemails down and then you know it's almost your task list, mm-hmm. and you just knock down your task list but what was happening after Charles died I um I couldn't answer the voicemails at home or at work it felt like it had actually gotten to like 70 something and I was telling my boss, I don't know what's going on. It feels like I got a million balls to juggle, and it, but my hands are tied behind my back, so I can't juggle the balls anymore. I used to enjoy, I think, juggling all those balls, but when your hands are tied, you can't do anything. All the balls kept falling. 
And so um, I, I, I think, I don't know if some, a friend or my job recommended I go see a counselor. And so I did. And so I went to see him as a black male and we talked and he said, well, and I told him everything was going on and my husband died and whatever. He said, well, you know, um, mm-hmm. he asked me a few questions about my past. You know how they do. You know, how does this make you feel, those questions. And he said, well, first of all, all you're experiencing is is grief. And this is the first time in your life. I was 37 when Charles died. He said, this is the first time in your life that you live with grief. And you've never experienced grief. You might have had some, like, you know, you might have lost a pet or, you know, a job or whatever. But this is the first time. I don't think I had lost a job then. Maybe I had. I don't remember. But this is the first time that grief sits with you. It walks with you. And you don't know how your body is just, you just need to grieve. That's all. And so I said, and he said, so what else are you feeling? And I was talking about my husband and, you know, he gave, he was, we were married and when he's going to church with me and one Sunday he said, Diane, I want what you have. And I said, what do I have? He said, um, you have a relationship with God and I want to surrender my life to God and just be so faithful. I don't care what happens. You're still so faithful to God. And I said, Really? And so he said, that's what I want to do. And I said, you know, I'm so glad that he came across my path because, I, he, you know, he gave his life to Christ. He was baptized and all that stuff. But I said, I'm so glad that he saw something in me that um, mm-hmm. he wants to uh, replicate. And so, um, so he said, do you think you've been called? And I said, yeah, sometimes I do. But I don't know that I want to be that type of calling you know like you're in the pulpit and all like that so when I left Danville I thought about going to divinity school and so the, my pastor my church in Danville he was at Duke Divinity so I, I kind of confronted him he was younger than me maybe 10 years I might have been he might have been 26 and I was 36 or 30 27 37 so I used to go to class with him at Duke mm-hmm. University just he used to let me come and sit in with him and I liked it I um uh, I had a chance, I can't think of the man's name, he's a famous black theologian. Um, he was excellent. Uh, he used to let me go sit on his class, Dr. Proctor, uh, with him. And I was thinking about it, but then I was thinking, that's a big commitment. And so, but I said, I need to be doing something with my time. So I um, I went to UNC, I went to North Carolina A&T, which was um, and I, when I walked on Auntie's campus, wow! Somehow, Maria, I ended up in the education building. <laughs> and so I'm walking down the halls, and I'm just walking down the halls, thinking, "Oh, what am I doing over here? And then, <laughs> are you, what am I you, doing you in lost? the education building?" And so somebody, <laughs> oh, no, just wondering, just wondering the campus, and um, because I knew I was supposed to be in graduate. I knew I was supposed to be doing something besides not doing nothing. Right. You know, we don't have that do nothing type of energy. And so when, <laughs> and so, um, and I knew I was supposed to be in school, but this is like, I probably maybe my uh, Jonah moment instead of running to Nineveh, I ran away <laughs> to, instead of running to Duke, I ran to A&T to the school of education. <laughs> 
It's so uh, to the run to do community. <laughs> I ran to uh, North Carolina College School of Education, College of Education. So I was walking in the hall, and so I was asking about the program. I don't know. And then this it, when I started asking about the program, <laughs> they actually took me to the chair or the dean. And so he said, and so he said, this is what you should do. You should make it adult education. So I said, so what do I have to do? And he said, just do 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 whatever you have to do. And wow. so I enrolled in a master's. That's an amazing story. I mean, it kind it kind of like fits in. All who are wanderers are not lost, right? You weren't lost. You were just wondering. You were just wondering, and yeah, and wow. you found wherever you were supposed to fit. Wondering. And you, you know, that's that's great. Yes. But one of the things, I, when I got into the program, this is what I thought, because one of my other, you probably knew this too about me. Once I tell you this, you can say, yeah, I remember this. One of the things that I oh, always yes. wanted to be was the program. I, I know that. HBCU. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'll say so. This was going to be my entree, because the future of education was adults going back to college. The future education, higher education, was not the, the traditional student. It's the uh, adult student. So I was going to get a master's in adult education and a, a PhD in higher education administration. So this, because I needed those two degrees to pursue this okay. HBCU presidency. But once I finished, once I finished that <laughs> master's, like you say, you're thinking, what is all this for? Like, really? It's too, it's too much. It's too much. Really? It's just, and then it's a lot of politics, you know, like, I, could, I sometimes I even felt some of the, you know, because I came out of pharmaceutical sales, and so I read clinical studies, like, when I'm sitting in the doctor's office, waiting to see the doctors, I'm reading journals, and so when I got a job, when I went to grad school, I would just go to the thing and read all these journals, all these adult education, adult learning, you know, I would mm -hmm. read the journals. When I get to the class, sometimes I would know more than the professor about the latest literature on adult learning, and I could feel like the pushback, you know, like, <laughs> well, how do you know about that? It's in a journal, you know, like, <laughs> and I would quote the journal because, you know, we had to cite journals. When we met with a doctor, we had to cite the journal, the date, you know, the issue, you know, who, the discussion, what type right. of, was it double blind, you know, what type of study, you know, like I was, that's how I was you know, trained for 20-something years. So when I went to class, that's the way I taught. And but then, but one thing that one of my professors said to me, she said, Diane, we've, uh, we've already picked a program for you in the University of Illinois uh, to get your PhD in adult learning. Um, <laughs> you know, you'd be a good candidate. And I was thinking, I'm not doing yeah. that. You know, like, really? Right. right. <laughs> you know, I already know about this. <laughs> I, I just, I was, I'm in here faking it. I'm, I'm not even serious you know, like... at some point in time you realize you come to the realization but... is that why do i need to check all these boxes why do i have to check all yes. these boxes maybe i shouldn't have to that's what it is i mean that's what i came to no not checking any more of these not checking any more of these boxes for you i'm good got it got it as much as anybody else that has it i have it too I don't need to check another box. Yes. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's checking boxes or get tired of paying people money to read good stuff. 
that I already could read on my own and, you know, got me doing all this extra work. And I, you know, like, one time, once a month, right. I think I had yeah. 30 papers to write. Like, I don't care if it's two pages or three pages, mm-hmm. you still got, you know, you got to make, slide it and do it, whatever that, the way they want you to do it. And you got to double space <laughs> it. And thank God, I think we had word processors then. And so you didn't have typewriters, but I still can't yeah. type. You know, I'm still a hunt and pecker. And so, um, but yeah, so when I got all that stuff done and, um, but yeah, that's how I got there. But, you know, I don't regret it. Like one day I was thinking, oh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and, um, and she said, Don, if I know what I know now, and I see, she said, I would ask God for a do-over. And I said, a do-over? I never even thought about a do-over. I said, I had to, like, it was almost like perfect love. Let me just, let's get off the phone. Let me just. <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested in a do-over. I've had, I want to do this over. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> you get it? So I was thinking, let me think about, well, you know. I was thinking, I don't know. I think that um, that's why I said it's, it's more of indoctrination. If we were truly educated, I think that our decisions would be totally different, you know, um, and totally just, I don't know. Like, I only have one regret. I only have one regret. When I was at Hampton mm-hmm. uh, University, I worked in the museum. And I came up, just stumbled on that again, uh, I think my junior or junior year, every year I was struggling with money. My junior year, they told me I really got to get a job on campus with the work study and mm-hmm. pay my tuition that I had uh, outstanding. And so I thought that when you went, they told you that they gave you a job. No, you go find a job and you tell us who hired you, go around campus and ask people. I was thinking, I just thought you showed up and... You got a job, and they started taking the money, taking your whole paycheck and pay your tuition. They said, no, it don't work like that. So uh, I went around campus. You know, I went to the you know the regular places, the cafeteria, the library, the bookstore. I went all over looking. I didn't find it. But I remember, oh, I said, let me, my favorite place on campus, I remember going my freshman year was the museum. So I went there and told the lady that I want to work for. Mm-hmm. She said, oh, God, I'm glad. No students ever come over here, Harley. But she says, good, because we just got a grant from the Smithsonian, and we had a lot of work for you to do. And so uh, I loved it. It was one of it was one of my best experiences. She taught me all about, you know, we have the Richard Banjo lesson. You know, it was just a beautiful, you know, we have African art from uh, African-American uh, student from Hampton in the 1800s. He actually was a Presbyterian missionary that went to Congo. And when he came back, he was over there 20-something years. When he came back, he had a shipload of artifacts. That's our museum. We had Native Americans to come on campus to be educated, just like the newly freed Africans. Um, We had their regalia. When they came off those ships onto our campus, they took off their Native regalia Mm -hmm. and gave them uniforms. We have that in our museum. Um, We have the museum that works from the Harlem Renaissance. They vote, they've divided it up at the Harmon Foundation, about four or five HBCUs, Hampton have a truckload of that art. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got that job, and I loved it. And I um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The lady loved me, Miss Bodica. 
She taught mm-hmm. me a lot about African American African art. Uh, I was a student docent. I painted. I hung pictures. Um, I knew the authors. I worked in the uh, place mm-hmm. where they fixed them. Uh, you know, broken pieces of art and frames. I fixed frames in art. And when I when I was getting ready to graduate, Miss Bodica, who's a, um, a woman, she came to me who ran the museum, and she said, Diane. Me and I think your lady, oh, down, your yeah, Bonner, okay. who was our uh, chair of the art department. Now I remember Miss Bonner. She was she was your neighbor, and they, uh huh, they came to me and said, Diane, we have a future for you. You will go and get your master's and PhD in, in museum curatorship, and somewhere in Illinois, Wisconsin, somewhere I never heard of, you know, from Danville, Virginia, country. And I looked at them and thinking, wow, that would have been really specific job, though, forever. I would have been at that museum, our National African American Museum, the Smithsonian downtown by now. But, yeah, so I was thinking that's just myopic. But that was that's my only regret that those people saw something in me in this art. And they said in the future. We're going to need black students like you, and especially a woman, Diane, that appreciates our art and our culture, and you love everything. You, everything we ask you to do, you do it with excellence. If you don't know how to do it, you, are, you, know, you ask us a million questions, and you're curious about the work, um, please do this for us because we're going to need you in the future. And now Hampton actually has a, a degree in museum studies. And, you know, we have a beautiful museum. The museum wasn't the same okay. museum they have now. Okay. It was just a, a couple of rooms in a building. Uh-huh. It, wasn't, it wasn't what it is. And when I, when, I left, when I was given to leave, I brought your sister over there. And, okay. Uh, she loved the All right. Too, and she took the job after me. Your sister Sharon. Uh-huh. So, they, you know, she loved the museum just like I did. And so... um. Um, she would come over there with me sometimes, and I asked Ms. Vodica, because Ms. Vodica said, how are we going to replace you? None of these students care about this. Oh, that's and excellent. I took the job after I, I left the job. After I, yeah, so, yeah, that's my only regret, that those people saw something in me that could help, that it could help me serve me and serve, you know, my people in the future around art and art curatorship and because um, you I couldn't see what they saw. Too myopic and too broke. <laughs> right. Uh-uh. It, it, I didn't even know what they were talking about, really. You know what I mean? Museum curatorship. <laughs> we didn't use those words in my house. You're going to be, what are you doing? What are you going to school for? <laughs> what you talking about, Diane? What museum? Is that a job? Are they going to pay you? <laughs> Yes, don't people volunteer at the museum? Well, what you so it wasn't that like you that? were myopic. You, know, you could hear like, all the questions and the voices in your head, and you knew that that wasn't going to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, you know, for our family, nah. But uh, that's my only regret that I hmm. didn't listen to Miss Bodica and, and, and Dr. You know, it's, I, I am just so amazed. We started yeah. this out with. Um, you know, us not knowing each other's really favorite Bible verse. I thought I could guess yours, but I really didn't know that was what it was going to be. And it both came out of Proverbs. And I look back and I think about 
my only regret, it has to do, it has to revolve around work study as well. Uh, amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> because, and it was the same type of story almost where when I was at VCU, wow. I had, they told me I had to do work study. And I didn't know, what are you talking about? What do I have to do? You have to go out and you have to look on this list and you have to go and you have to set up an interview to talk to people. Okay. I set up an interview with the psychology department at VCU. And I'll never forget, I had never really had a job before. I never forget sitting across from, I guess he was a psychologist or the, Mm -hmm. you know, the professor or something I sit across from him and I had no idea what to say in the interview no idea and I thought about that years later thinking if you had just mm-hmm. tried to understand the importance of that interview you probably could have been a psychologist a sociologist and would have loved doing that yeah. you know everything is kind of leading back to to that type of thing for you but yeah. you you didn't have the wherewithal to know how to get through the interview. And I can remember the man saying something along those lines, like, you know, you have to answer the questions or something like that, or there are other people who want this job too. So I just thought, obviously I'm blowing it. (laughs) But that is so amazing to me, Diane, that if, if someone were to ask me my regret, that would have been it. It's work study related. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow, wow. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But, but this is kind of off the subject, in subject. The other day, I, you know, I'm on social media sometimes. I ain't got nothing to do, but I'm writing this piece right now, but it just was the instant. But sometimes I'm on social media. So um, this picture came up of Hampton's football team in the 70s, early, late 60s, early 70s. And I said, this guy that I dated, one of my first boyfriend, boyfriends, and I came to D.C., graduate. he was 10 years older than me, so he graduated from Hampton uh, 10 years after I graduated, I mean, before I graduated. So I said, he's probably in the mm-hmm. future. So I found him. And his number, his number was 44. So I was thinking, I kept thinking that he was one of my mistakes. But I said, you know what? He was in my path. Because that number 44 is just such a, you know, perfect number for it's like 1111 or 333. If you look up those numbers, those are angel numbers and numbers. Those are real, you know, like three. All those mm-hmm. numbers mean something, but it's really, it's a part of your mm-hmm. path. That's who, that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? So even though we think we missed it, we might have, but then we, one thing about God and this, you know, and all mm-hmm. you're getting Yes. And understand it, and he would direct your path. And what that's your verse? That, and, and he will direct your path. And so, even though we might have got mm-hmm. off path, along the way, he was nudging us back on. And sometimes I think we weren't listening, or we weren't aware that we were supposed to listen because we were not even aware that we were supposed to listen. You know, we wasn't even, that was, but now we have this keen awareness that I'm supposed to listen to what I'm supposed to be doing, that I'm I'm not going to lean to what I know exactly. and think and believe and understand. God, what do you want me to do? But just think if we had that wisdom, think, we had, 
you know, and all your and, and, I, and I, understanding. I think a large part of this too, Diane, is that, you know, the what we both just shared you. was that you don't, you don't have a full understanding when you're younger. You don't, you know, and as you mature and you grow, you begin to understand more. You begin to understand, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that your path is really being directed and the more you can listen and tune to this universal power, the more you can go in that direction that, you know, you're destined for, right? Uh, but you don't know that when you're younger. You don't you don't know that always when you're younger. But like you're saying, sometimes that course corrects, takes you longer to get to where you were supposed to go, but you, you kind of go in the right direction. That is just amazing <laughs> that, to me, I'm just amazed at this conversation, to be honest yeah. with you, Diane. I'm amazed that coming from the same bloodline that our paths are so similar. You know, so how do we pick <laughs> adult and learning? Like, really? Who picked right. that? Really? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. You know, for a graduate. But did you get your undergrad in business? I did too. So, how did we pick it? But you know, one tell I tell people though, I'm not a teacher. I'm more of a lecturer. I'm more of a lecturer, but I think that mm-hmm. I'm, and you are too. We are teachers though, because we love learning so much. And so, even though we took business, teaching must probably be somewhere in our ancestry. And uh, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my friend's sons calls me Sage. Okay. And so somewhere, and it, we, uh, you are yes. Sage too. And so somewhere there were, you know, you, and our, our Uncle Charles was a Sage. So somewhere we had some people who were the mm-hmm. wisdom seekers in our, in our ancestry to me. That's why we have all these books and stuff. Somewhere in our lineage, we were the educators of the wow, wow. All I can say is wow. I mean, it, it, I you know I think about you know letting this conversation just grow and go organically where it ended up going. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yes. Yeah, I God, think we just figure out who we yeah. were. Somewhere in our past life. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in our past life. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, guess what the this, this spirit is saying to me? That's why you had all those jobs and started all those businesses. Because you need Right. Where you could have you could have just went on the the path of the museum and stuck right there. I could have went on the path of psychologists and stuck right there. Yes, you know, was- never had all these other opportunities and ups and downs and learned about different industries and professions. Interesting. Yes. Right. And all you're getting, and he would Amazing. direct your path and Amazing. all you're getting, get understanding. <laughs> yes. So we have, we've, we have brought uh, the verses to uh, fruition. We have brought the verses. They are not just verses. We are living testaments. That's why they are verses. The verses. We didn't choose the verses. The verses chose oh, us. 
Yes. The verses chose us. God gave us. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. You are not leaning to your own. He's directing your path. And I'm, Amazing. And I'm always seeking. I, I know that I have enjoyed this conversation immensely, and I hope in years to come someone else finds it and helps them. But I, I sincerely appreciate you, Diane. Praise God. Same here, Marie. Same here. We are blessed, girl. We are blessed. But somebody, you know, it talks. The, uh, the Bible talks about a cloud of witnesses. Yes. Just think how <laughs> our mothers are. We yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, please. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you, Rosa May. And 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 their yes. mothers, mothers, and thank mothers, you, mothers, you, and mothers, yeah, mothers, and mothers, but mothers. That didn't have a chance Woo! to even stop, speak stop, these stop, things, stop, let stop. alone record them. Didn't have a chance. Lord have mercy. Yes. Yes. Out there, mothers, 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 mothers. We are speaking. We are the, yes, we the are. storytellers that they couldn't, the stories they couldn't tell. And putting them on, and uh, we're blessed. That's all I can say. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Thank you for keeping you on the right path. And thank you, Lord, for me to get me to get Absolutely. understanding. Seek understanding because I think we always getting it. All right, girls. It's it's it's, it's uh, been real fun, Diane. And it's been fun, and it's been real fun. <laughs> you too. And this concludes another right, Marie, episode of Cousins Dropping Knowledge. <laughs>